0: You're listening to the New City Church Sermon Podcast. We exist to love God, to love our neighbors, and to make known the good news of Jesus Christ. To this end, we seek to cultivate a spirit-filled, gospel-centered community that multiplies disciples of Jesus and churches for the glory of God, the joy of all people, and the good of the city. If you'd like to learn more about New City, including service times, discipleship pathways, and opportunities to serve and fellowship with us, please visit us online at newcitykc.org. Good morning, New City, and Happy New Year. I'm glad to be here, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach. Um, as always, we want to welcome those that may be watching online. You'll have to bear with me this morning as I'm kind of recovering from some type of plague that hit our house last week. Um, it wasn't COVID, got tested for the flu, wasn't that, so yay, yeah, it's something unknown, um, which is which is always great. So yeah, uh, yesterday I spent... Uh, Three hours waiting in the doctor's office to see what it was, and they're like, "You don't have the flu. Here's some Flonase. Go take some Zyrtec." I'm like, "Really? Okay." But anyway, it's good to be here this morning. If you're like me, New Year's is always a time for reflection, a time for reflection over the past year, and a time to look forward to the future. Uh, Sometimes you've maybe you've been to other churches and you've heard New Year's. Uh, sermons that are meant to pump you up for the coming year. And while those aren't bad, today's sermon won't be that. Um, For some of you, this past year was a joyous one, filled with highs, filled with great victories, personal successes. For others, it may have been one of the hardest-filled hardest seasons of loss, grief, anxiousness, etc. For some it may have been a mix of both, and that's okay. I think it's why Paul tells us in Romans 12 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those that weep. There are allowances for both, and God knows that. By God's grace, I hope today's passage will install instill a calm yet steady assurance that God will absolutely preserve you, that He will be with you that he will fight for you, that he will be with you both on the beautiful mountaintops and in some of the darkest valleys of life. Today, we're going to be focusing on Exodus 14 and uh, Exodus 15, 1 through 19. Exodus 14 and 15 is the famous crossing of the Red Sea passage. And uh, and then chapter 15 talks specifically about uh, it's the song that Israel sings over, um, over the death of the Egyptians in the Red Sea. Um, always some fun stuff. Yeah, We don't see very many worship songs like that today, do we? <clears throat> so let's, uh, let's go ahead and dig into the passage and then we'll pray and we'll get into it. You'll have to forgive me again. I am mean, you taking lots of drinks today. The Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of pi roth between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done? that we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and they at the sea by Pi-Hi-Roth in front of Bel-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried to the Lord. They said "They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not This, what we said to you in Egypt, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. That part always cracks me up, but we'll get to that part later. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, "Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go of, to go forward, lift your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so that shall so they shall go in after them. And I will set and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen." Then the angel of the Lord who was going before the hosts of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the hosts of Egypt and the host of Israel, and there was a cloud and, and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning in the, and in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down on the Egyptians' forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic, clogging the chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of Pharaoh that followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord had used against the Egyptians so that the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And in verse 15, uh, chapter 15, uh, this is the song, that, and this is Israel's response. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang the song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war; the Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast them into the sea. His chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them; they went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O oh Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O oh Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty you overthrow your adversaries. You send them out. You send out your fury; it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils the waters piled up, the flood stood up in the heap, the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them, I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with the wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? awesome and glorious deeds doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand and earth swallowed them. You have led your steadfast love. you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You' have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. <clears throat> That's our passage this morning, let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to meet with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ um, and we thank you for what you've done. In the past year we thank you for what you're going to do in the new year and we thank you that your presence is ever with us i pray that uh, as we look at this passage this morning um, may it change my heart and my life and uh may we have a new understanding and new appreciation for your power and for your glory in jesus name amen um as we get going as we get going this morning there's one more verse i actually i actually should have read this first we all know that there aren't chapter headings, right? In the original text there weren't chapters and chapter differences. Um, the last verse of chapter thirteen, uh, verse twenty-two, in my opinion, would be better off with the chapter fourteen. It simply says, "The pillar of the cloud by day and the pillar of pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people." Um, and I think that's the author's way of saying that God was with the was was with them through thick and thin. Um, whenever I hear or whenever I read the story, I always think about, um, if you're younger, some of you may think about that movie, The Prince of Egypt. I've actually never seen that movie. I know I should go back and watch it at some point, but I was old enough and I was a cartoon I didn't want to watch at. Um, <clears throat> but if, if you're kind of old like me, um, you think about Cecil B. DeMille's famous movie, The Ten Commandments, right? Star, starring Charlton Heston and Yul Brynner. I also remember those flannel graph boards as a kid that would illustrate what was happening in the story. Um, I think many times we get stuck in a rut when we hear or when we read the story because it's kind of entertaining. It's kind of an entertaining story that's told in children's church or made in the movies. But is this story just meant for fun movies in children's church? No, it's not. Today, I hope that we can appreciate it in a new way I hope we can see the beautiful correlation between this story and the gospel. This next part could be a whole separate message. Uh, There's a ton of symbolism here. When you think about how Moses led the people of Israel, Moses, the great leader of Israel, the mediator between God and and his people who are enslaved and dying in the land, not their own, who delivers them from death, gives them the law, walks with them through the sea and desert until they make it to the promised land. And remember, Moses didn't enter the promised land. He would later on on the mountain of transfiguration, which I think is always kind of cool. When you think about how God, in Moses's disobedience, when God told Moses to speak to the rock, he strikes it. and God says, because of that, you won't enter the promised land. That's where a lot of us kind of leave it. But in a beautiful, kind of in a fulfilling way, Moses was able to enter the promised land later in the Mount of Transfiguration. This is a cool little tidbit. Jesus, and then we contrast Moses with the life of Jesus. Jesus, who is the better and perfect Moses, our mediator between us and God, delivering us from being enslaved to sin and death, who gives us grace and who walks with us until we cross over. This alone, like I said, could be a whole nother sermon series. It's a beautiful picture. Again, in chapter 13, 22, the author is prefacing this whole story by saying that God's presence was with them. In verses 1 through 4, God tells Moses to have the people camp by the sea, which doesn't make a lot of sense if you're fleeing Egypt. Why wouldn't you want to get the heck out of Dodge, right? You wouldn't want to be as far, as way, far away as possible. But here we see God purposely place them in a scenario in which he will showcase his glory. In verse 3, it says, For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. He thought he had them trapped. We see that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. We see this echoed in uh, uh, Exodus 4.21. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it really quickly. So the, Lord said, the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put, put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Um, I know that may not be like a verse that's meant to be funny, but I've always kind of thought it to be a little bit humorous. God tells Moses, hey, go do perform the miracles that I'm going to work through you. But by the way, he's not going to listen to a word you have to say do it anyway, okay? We see that happen again in uh, chapter 7 verse three and four. He says, "But I will harden Pharaoh's heart and though I will multiply my sin my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Um, and again, if you're Moses, you're thinking, well, what good does that do? But what's the purpose of God hardening his heart? I've heard, you know it's specifically here at New City, we come from a reformed tradition. I've heard some people say, well, God only hardened Pharaoh's heart because Pharaoh hardened it first, right? But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But what is the purpose? The purpose, thankfully, is written out for us in verse 4. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. God is more interested in his glory than anything else. You see in the passage, just like clockwork, Pharaoh's heart hardens and he decides to chase them in order to enslave them again. Um, You see a little detail in this passage uh, in verse 6. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots in Egypt and officers with them. So he had ready 600 chariots, is this just some random Fact that the author wanted to put in here, I don't think so. I think it's pointing out the fact that militarily Pharaoh had every advantage to conquer basically a wandering people. From Pharaoh's point of view, it was a done deal. There was there wasn't going to be a contest. Um, it was done. It was only a matter of time. Verses ten through fourteen. If Pharaoh drew near. The people of Israel lifted up their eyes. Behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Um, so, what we see Pharaoh's response to God's hardening his heart, and then we see the and then we see the um, the Israelites' response to the Egyptians chasing them. So, first of all, they're afraid, and and rightly so. I I get that they've wandered. They've just left Egypt. They have the clothes on their back. probably some cattle, you know. Every earthly possession that they can carry with them. And they're up against pretty much the the number one military force in the world at that time. They cry out to the Lord. They cry out to the Lord. (laughs) And then they throw Moses under the bus. Notice their response Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? And you have to remember: Was it really Moses, or was God the one who brought them out and put that put them in that particular spot in that position? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. That response always kind of cracks me up, because that's not that's not what they said at all. Um, in, in Exodus 4:31, after God tells Moses what he's going to be doing. Moses then takes that word back to the the leaders of Israel. In verse 31, it says, And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. It's kind of funny what the people of Israel decided to remember, what they thought was reality. Notice what they didn't ask. They didn't ask themselves, how will God glorify himself through this? And this is something that God has been working in my life, um, and I hope he works in your life as well. When we we face difficult situations, a lot of times times we have the response, well, why is this happening to me? Um, This is the second time that Ryan has asked me to preach, um, and the last time I got horribly sick as well, and so we we had to flip Sundays. And then Ryan asked me to preach. And I say, sure, Ryan, I'd love to. And then God's like, here, have this plague. Um, you know, and so it's one of those things that's like, well, you know, why now? But rather, how will God glorify himself th- through this? You know, I, I, I'm not God. Everybody knows that. You're not God either. We have no idea what's coming in the next year. Um, you know, in the next year, you may have some wonderful victories, some mountaintop experiences, or next year could be one of the hardest. But what if we were to ask God, whether on the mountaintop or in the valley, God, how how can and will you glorify yourself through this? Because God will get the glory. The the question would be, how how do we want to respond, and how do we get to play a small part in God giving himself glory? I believe that this crisis in in chapter 14 was kind of threefold in its purpose. I believe it, I think it was meant to mature and deepen Moses's faith, right? I mean, if I'm Moses and I just did this and then they come attacking me, I'd be like, are you people stupid? Did you just not see what happened? But Moses doesn't say that. Um, I think God meant this to mature and deepen Moses's faith. And we're going to see Moses mature along this, along, uh, along this storyline. It was also to grow the faith of Israel. And lastly, it was to, for God to glorify, glorify himself. Notice, this, notice Moses' response to them. Um, he says, fear not. This is in verse 13. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. It's interesting when you read each one of those imperatives. You know, he says, fear not, where our first response naturally would be to fear. He says, stand firm, because our reaction would be to run. See the salvation of the Lord. We want to try, many times we want to try and help God do whatever he can, which if you think about it, When you're in those moments, it makes sense to us humanly, like, how can I help myself or help God in some way? But it's silly. God is the one who's sovereign. God is the one that's in control. When life becomes difficult, we want to do everything opposite that Moses told the people to do. Again, we fear. We want to turn. We want to run. We want to try and help God do something to fix the problem because we think that our strength plus God's strength equals greater strength. And Paul actually says later on "It's our, that God's strength is made perfect in weakness. While there are times that God does quickly deliver us from hard situations in life, many times, instead of instant relief from those situations, he preserves us through the hard situations in life. And uh, his preservation is made evident in this passage. In, in, uh, in verses 15 through 30, We see that God parts the water. We see Israel marching through it, and we see the Egyptians follow. And then we see God closes the sea and wipes out the Egyptians. God ultimately delivers Israel from Egypt. In this case, God's divine action was twofold. It was Israel's destruction and Israel's preservation. And uh, when I thought about that, I couldn't help but think about the, uh, the great flood. Right? Wasn't the great flood very similar to this? No, it was the world's destruction and sin's judgment, yet at the same time, it was Noah's preservation. You see that push and pull. You see the two different sides to the same coin. In verse 30, after all is said and done, we see Israel's response. And uh, it says that they saw the great power that the Lord had used against the Egyptians, so that the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in the servant, Moses. They feared the Lord, they believed the Lord, and they believed in the servant. If God would do this for them, it proves that he's a trustworthy God, does it not? And, <laughs> again, I don't know what the new year holds for any of us, but I do know that God is faithful and he'll preserve you through any circumstance. Um, I'd like to, kind of in closing, I, it's funny. Ryan always reads this passage, no matter what. Um, but it was it was very perfect for today, and so I'm 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 going to I'm going to I'm going to steal it. Um, Romans eight thirty one to thirty nine. What shall we say to then? What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge to any of God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or, you know, the Red Sea, or Pharaoh's chariots. No. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, right, this past year, nor things to come, whatever's coming in the new year, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Christ Jesus, our Lord. Um, you know, it's interesting when you think about God's glory and the, and the tough situation that Israel was in, God got the glory, and through that hard circumstance, many people believed the Lord. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to tell you a really quick story, and then, and then, we'll, and then we'll land the plane. Um, I ran across a story just recently in this past year. There was a, there was a nurse by the name of Peggy Koval. I should have written this out in my, in my altered sick state. I didn't write any of the details out. There was a nurse by the name of Peggy Koval. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of her. Probably most of you haven't. She lived in the 1930s. Her parents were missionaries in the Philippines. Um, she was back in the states, uh, finishing up her career or finishing up her uh, her nurse's education when World War II broke out. The Japanese, when they uh, when they took control of the Philippines, uh, martyred her parents that were missionaries to the Philippines and were and were working with the Japanese. Um, she didn't even really know the full extent of. Of the brutality of the Japanese, of, of, of her parents' martyrdom, but she ended up working. I believe it was in Colorado, working with POWs, uh, specifically with Japanese POWs. Um, she writes that that she had, she kind of had the seething hatred for the Japanese. I get that um, after what they had done and 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 and, and murdering her parents, um, but she realized that she she realized that her parents probably forgave them and in their last closing minutes of life probably asked God to forgive them. So she thought she would do the same. And she said that this Holy Spirit of God gave her an absolute love for these soldiers. So she would nurse um, these Japanese POWs back to health. One of them, um, I forgot the gentleman's name, was a co-pilot and engineer to another Japanese pilot uh, whose last name was Uchida. Um, Uchida, we find out later, was the leading pilot who led the attack on Pearl Harbor, which killed thousands of American lives. He was actually the pilot that sent across the page the famous words, Tora, 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 and gave the green, literally gave a green light for all the waves of Japanese planes right behind him to, yes, everything's clear, start your bombing runs. After the war, um, Uchida met up with his co-pilot who had had been nursed back to health by Peggy and and he asked them, because he was convinced that the United States treated Japanese POWs with cruelty, and he said the opposite. He said we were loved and given compassion beyond what we could imagine, and that really blew him away. Um, Later on, it, the story's kind of convoluted, but it's going somewhere. I promise. Um, if you remember, also in World War II, in a, one of the United States' responses, Doolittle and his raid launched a whole ton of B twenty-five bombers off a carrier. And they flew to Tokyo, bombed it more as a statement to say, "Hey, we can get you guys as well." The majority of their planes didn't have enough gas to get back, and so they ditched it their planes in China, some in Japan. One of the guys was one of the guys that was captured. Was his last name was. De De Shazer, De Stager, something like that. He was taken as a POW, and he was actually given a Bible, of all things, um, in this Japanese POW camp. He came to know the Lord and ended up being a missionary in Japan as, as a result of that. Going back to Uchida, Uchida ran across his coworker who kind of relayed to him these different stories, and long story short, Uchida ended up picking up the Bible himself and reading it, and became a follower of Christ. In the end, um, he ended up being an evangelist here in the United States for many number of years, and he's written a book called From Pearl Harbor to Calvary. When you think about the sovereignty of God, and God working out hard circumstances on multiple places, in multiple scenarios, right? The the POW um, uh, from the uh, the pilot from the Doolittle raid. You think about Peggy Koval, who, whose parents had been murdered by the Japanese, loved the Japanese people well and the soldiers well, so much so that people said, That's not normal. Why? Right? But they endured hardship. They were faithful in what God called them to do. And they were utterly convinced that God could use their stories and could use their life for his fame and for his glory. Again, I have no idea what the new year holds for us. Um, I'm not God, but I know, through thick and through thick and or thin, that like the children of Israel, and through hard circumstances, God will be there. And by God's grace, He will get the glory for the year 2023. Each week. We have the precious opportunity to serve the Lord's Supper, which serves as a reminder of his great sacrifice that he paid for us on the cross. If you believe in Jesus this morning, we welcome you to participate with us this morning. We form two lines and take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. If you're not sure if you believe in Jesus or you're questioning your faith, we'd, act, we'd invite you to stay seated. But if you'd like to come talk to any one of us after the service, we'd love to share the gospel. We'd love to share Jesus with you. Um, so, like I said, I hope this message was encouraging. God is good, and He's good all the time. And whether whatever comes in 2023, I know that God will be with us. I know that He will uh, He'll lead us, and He will guide us. So let's pray. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness and your kindness uh, to us. I thank you for. All the many ways that you work in a million, billion people's lives each and every day to, to, to give yourself glory, to to shine a spotlight on your son and his and his work on, on the cross. And I pray for each person here, Lord, whether they've whether they're coming off of a really tough year or whether they've or whether they're coming off of a great year. Regardless, Lord, would you magnify your name among Kansas City through my life and through the pe- and through the lives of the people here. Let others see your goodness. Would others see that you are the Lord? What others see and come to know and love your son Jesus as a result. In Jesus' name.